Good morning. Sure glad that you're here. Um, everybody said it, so let me take a moment to say it too. Happy New Year. Hope you had a good uh, Christmas season. Hope you're ready to go for 2018. If you have your notes, you might want to grab them. You'll need a pen or a pencil. There's a couple of fill-in-the-blanks right there. We do that because we believe that um, if you've made the effort to be here and it's your desire um, that while here to grow, then um, memorizing those things come easier uh, when you write them down. And I had a professor when I was in school, which was back when they used to use rocks for messages, and um, it just simply uh, was this little, little statement that always stayed with me, the weakest ink is still stronger than the best mind. And so when you write something down, your percentage of remembering it just goes up astronomically. So um, you've made the effort to be here, you want to learn, you want to grow in 2018, one of the easiest things you can do. Just take notes, write things down. You'll be amazed at the recall that, uh, that comes with that. Um, real quick, uh, it's, I'm not gonna show it to you today. It takes about 15 minutes and I don't wanna take time from the service today to do that. But um, at uh, last night's service, um, uh, we, we are, our Highlands Ranch campus um, is becoming its own entity, Discover Community Church. Pastor Bob and Gabe Oldfield, um, back in the summertime, uh, had um, said yes to an opportunity that we felt the Lord put before us to challenge them to take their church and to establish it as a freestanding church in our community. And I'm not um, saying that we're gonna do that with all of our campuses, but with that one in particular, we felt very much that it was at the place. It was 10 years old, and we were asking ourselves, what does it look like uh, at the end of it? What, what does it need to become? Does it just stay attached and it never stands on its own? Or does it become its own entity where it can self-direct? And ultimately, this is the most important thing. It has to be able to reproduce. And in the, uh, in the current way that we were structured, that church was not able to reproduce by starting other churches. And that's part of our DNA is to plant churches. As a matter of fact, Bob's Church, which launches right now while we're here, they're launched. That is the second church in one year that we've planted and the 15th church in 20 years that we've planted as a body. And that's a pretty amazing thing. So we had challenged them back in the summertime to consider this. They prayed about it. They said yes. Their staff was on board with it. Um, we were able to seed them with about 200 people to get started. They're gonna meet in the location that they've been meeting in using one of our buildings to be able to do that. Uh, and they're just excited about it. So we had them all here, their entire staff. Uh, had Bob share uh, just what was going on and where they were at. And then we prayed over them and released them and let them go. We've helped them, by the way, financially. We've helped them um, numerous ways. You've helped them numerous ways to be able to do this. I think it's the best launch we've ever done now uh, to date. It even surpassed what we did for Pastor Evan and Emily. Uh, just excited about that. But I wanted to share with you because, you know, sometimes we'll announce something and then there's all the planning of it. Months go by and then the launch of it. And then just in case you're like, hey, we never see Bob and Gabe anymore. Uh, Jonathan and Janet, for those that have been around and know who I'm talking about, so they're, they've got their own thing. If you want to follow them, Discovery Church, um, uh, Discovery Community Church, um, and it's uh, in Highlands Ranch. And man, I'm, I'm so proud of them, so pleased with them and expect to hear good things. So uh, enough of that. Hey, uh, exciting year for me. Let me tell you why. Uh, maybe, maybe when I get done, I can get you excited about it too. I have been mentioning it for almost a year. Uh, and here we are as we turn into 2018. Uh, JFC is 20 years old. Uh, it was 20 years ago that I felt the Lord put it in my heart to move from northern Colorado and to come here and to start. We started from scratch, literally. That first Sunday, it was just a handful of people that gathered together. We met in a school, and what God's done in 20 years is amazing to me. It's amazing for these two reasons. I'm going to share something personal real quick. Maybe you can't relate to this, but this is one of the reasons I'm excited. Um, my life, up until I started this church, I had never had a job that lasted more than five years. 
And most of them had only lasted one year. And I came out of a denomination, and the denomination that I came out of had a lot of political infighting in its churches. And the first two churches I worked at lasted one year to the day. And I did that twice in a row and yanked my young family up and had to move because of political infighting inside of the church. And I actually was, uh, was trying to figure out, hey, is this really the way that I want to go with my life? I don't think I can, I can do this. And I had asked the Lord during that time that, Father, at some point, plant us. We want roots in a community. We want to raise our children in one place. We don't want to be moving around like this. And I, I don't know if any, any person in this room has ever experienced, but I used to think maybe something's wrong with me. Maybe I've got the wandering foot and I can't, I, I just can't stay still. And so when we started uh, Jubilee, and those of you who go here, you know this is true. Man, I, th- this was never an ambition for me to get another stepping stone to another city or to something uh, that was bigger, or that was, you know, quote unquote, better. Um, I'm one of the few people who can say, I'm living out my ambition right now. Now you might go, you're not a very ambitious person. (laughs) Maybe that's true, maybe that's not true, I'm not sure. But here here was my, my thought in coming here and in doing what we were doing. I wanted to give my life to a group of people. And I told the Lord if he would make that possible, that I wouldn't, it didn't matter if it was, if it was good or it was bad, uh, hell or high water, whatever it was, I would go one place and I would give my life to one group of people and I would see a generation from start to finish if God would give me the opportunity to do that. Now, uh, as I say that, in my mind it sounds noble. Some people sitting out there are like, you stayed too long. I, I, I get it, you know, it's, it's all in, in perception and how you, how you feel about it. Here, here's something weird though that I just realized. I'm the longest tenured pastor in Highlands Ranch. There's not another preacher that's been here as long. Sometimes, here's how you beat people. You just outlast all the critics. That's how you do it. And, and um, it, it just, I, I don't know how that turned out to be that way, but it did just turn out to be that way. And I've enjoyed it. So coming into 2018, I was excited about the 20th year. So I got the staff together and I said, hey, let's come up with some theme things that through 2018 we can just do uh, to recognize what the Lord's done for us, to bring our church into a celebration. Now, um, in the middle of the summer, that'll be the actual anniversary, and we'll do a big fun thing in the middle of the summer. We'll have a good time. We're going to move our life day, for those who are familiar, we normally do it at the end of May. We're going to move it till later in the summer and do a big celebration for our 20th uh, at, at that time, and it'll be, um, it'll, be, it'll be a lot of fun. Maybe I'll even do a series in particular on that. But getting with the staff, I just asked their input, hey, what, what kind of themes would be fun to, uh, to present to our church for uh, our 20th anniversary? So here, here were the winners. These are the things that we'll use over the next 12 months uh, sort of as a theme. We'll put it on our printing and put it at all the campuses. Uh, here was the first one. Maybe you saw it. Uh, uh, JFC, 20 years in the making. Kind of like that one right there. It makes it sound like, you know, it's just getting started. It's just, uh, just, just kind of happening right now. Uh, this one was brilliant. Uh, it was probably the most popular, probably the one that you would think of too, uh, uh, 2020 Vision. Like that one right there, kind of 20 years and, and, and you know, your, your vision is sharp, sharper. That one was good. Uh, my wife, like this one uh, right here, 20 years just getting started, kind of making it sound fresh. Uh, here was the one that was rejected and that uh, we decided not to do. Uh, 20, in a year we'll be an adult. Uh, that was the one that... <laughs> that was mine and nobody liked, uh, nobody liked mine. So we'll have some fun. Uh, with it this year, and I just, um, I'm not sure how many pastors anymore in the day and the age that we live in get to celebrate 20th in one place. I just not, I'm not sure. And, uh, you know, 30 or 40 years ago, it was a very admired thing to be able to do something like that. I realize today people switch and move all the time, and it's not necessarily that way. But um, the only reason I share it with you, it was an answer to a prayer that God gave me. It was something that I asked him for and that he's done for me. And uh, it's an honor. Just hear me real quick. I'm more passionate at 20 years than I was when I was 34 and started this church. I'm more passionate today to do what I'm doing. I'm more grateful today. I'm more thankful. I, I, I look more forward to pastoring now 
than I did then. I, I might have had more energy then, but I know my brain's better today than it was uh, then, and I enjoy pastoring you. I enjoy being the pastor here. It's a, it's a dream come true for me, and I just wanted to acknowledge something good that God has done uh, for me, and I hope, uh, I hope for our church too. All right, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. You don't need to, don't need to do that. Thank you for, for your kindness. Um, see me after the service and there's 20 bucks for you. Uh, <laughs> um, so here, here's, here's what we're going to do. First of the year, uh, obviously this is the time where people are considering New Year's resolutions. I think it's smart to, um, to ask ourselves, why do people use this time of year to do that? Uh, in church, here's what we know, that there are two times a year where you get an automatic bump in, uh, in attendance and in commitment, and in people considering their spiritual lives. Uh, one is uh, right at back to school. It's when families are coming out of the summer, and they're like, hey, we need to, to get back to what's normal. But then the other one is right at the first of the year. And there's really three reasons. People consider these three things at the first of the year, and they should, and it's right, and it's healthy. And if we're smart, then we'll speak into those things to help people. So the first one just simply is this. People consider their health at the first of the year. And most resolutions are made about changing things in health. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to stop smoking. I'm going to quit this. I'm going to start exercising. Yes or no, that's what most of them are about. Uh, it, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I, I mean this without any... Um, <laughs> this is not uh, a smart aleck comment by any stretch of the imagination. You know, uh, in our area, Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Littleton, uh, if you live inside of Highland Ranch in particular, in your homeowners, you pay for five of the nicest rec centers in the world. You, you don't have any choice. You pay for them. And I have learned living here for a long enough period that this time of the year, man, when you go to the rec center in January, they're just packed out. It's the wrong time to start exercising. Wait till February. Right? You know what happens in church, too, is that uh, churches begin to fill up in January. But then in many cases, by February, the thrill is worn off or out. Hey, look at me real quick, because it's not a smart aleck comment. It's from my heart. Man, I want 2018 to be a year of growth for you. And if you're here right now because you're like, I'm taking stock of my spiritual life, not just my physical, but my spiritual, then I don't want you to have 30 good days. I want you to have 12 months of prosperity spiritually in your life. I want you to find roots and plug in and grow. I want you to find a family here. I want you to find a place where it matters to you whether you were there that weekend or not. I don't want it to be something where you just feel an obligation to or that you feel ambivalent about. I want you to feel connected and excited and passionate. Can I say that again? I want you to feel passionate. So this time of year, people consider their physical health, their spiritual well-being, and then they also just look at areas of their lives that are out of balance. Maybe finances, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job. It could be a number of different things, but something about the first of the year. I, I love this about humanity. There's something God-inspired, God-breathed inside of us that, that makes us long for new beginnings. We love do-overs, don't we? For the hundredth time. That's a good thing, man. That's a good thing. All right, so when we plan our series, then we ask ourselves, what's going on in space and time? What should we be feeding our sheep? What's important right now? And so many people right now are considering the essentials in life. And so we just titled our series, To Die For. And I know that sounds a little bit macabre, but it's not uh, the idea of like death, it's just like, what's the most essential things you should be considering right now? And how do you know and how do you boil it down? So I did this fun little thing, man. I, I just Googled essentials. How does a person boil down life to know what's, what's worthy of your time and your effort and your energy and your prayers? I mean, so many things vie for your attention. What's actually worthy? What's actually essential? I found this funny little um, Twitter chain. And it was a person who, who just simply had a gift to be able to boil things down to a couple of words to describe it. And so they were describing Pixar movies. 
in one sentence. Now, if I ask you to describe Toy Story, how long would it take you? What would you say? This person took every Pixar movie and boiled it down to the essentials, and it was really funny. So here's what this person said. You take every Pixar movie, and you can use this sentence to describe the movie. Like Toy Story was the first one. What if toys had feelings? And then they came out with cars, remember? What's cars about? What if cars had feelings? And then they did Bugs Life. What's that about? What if bugs had feelings? <laughs> and on and on and on till one of the latest ones, which was Inside Out, which is about feelings. And that one was about what if your feelings had feelings? <laughs> Go home and have fun with it. Look at every Pixar movie and describe it that way. And the only reason I just bring it up to you, I just thought it was clever that a person could, in life, boil down quickly, what is it really about? So what if we could do that spiritually? So what if we could pull off all the stuff that surrounds it and gets in a way and messes with it and it just kind of takes our energy? We could just boil it down to the essentials. What's essential? What's really worth dying for? In a broader base, here's why it's important to you. I kind of put it in the context of like our church. For 20 years, these are the things that I, in my mind, it's my North Star, what's essential. Because you could talk about a lot of things, but if you were to take all of my messages over the last 20 years and put it in a sentence, here's what the sentence would be. Uh, what if Pastor John every weekend taught about Jesus? Because in everything I teach, no matter what we call it, and what the theme is, I'm always teaching about Jesus. Because that's my essential. There's not a lot that I think is worth dying for. Chairs, carpet, crackers, wine or juice, air conditioning, audio visual, live drums or kit drums. All those things, they don't matter to me. But there's a few essentials that have shaped you if you go to church here. And so maybe if you took the principle that I'm about to share and applied it in your life in these other ways, maybe you could just quickly get down to the essentials and know where to spend your energy. All right. So these are my non-negotiables, the things that I've shaped you spiritually with. Uh, let me read a scripture to you. This is uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was the master at being able to deal with the essentials. He writes to a church in Corinth. Uh, he's writing to a group of believers. That's why um, I'll show you why we know, but it's a church uh, it's 2,000 years old, but it's still as applicable today as it was then. And, and he gives them this, um, hey, let me tell you what I've learned, and let me tell you what's essential. So uh, here Paul's writing. When I first came to you, uh, brothers and sisters. So that's how we know it's a church. That's how we know these are believers that he's writing to, brothers and sisters. I didn't use lofty words. Let me slow down. Pay attention here. I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. Now, Paul's going someplace with this. There's a reference that he's talking about. Uh, prior to this, there were places where he used impressive wisdom and lofty words in order to make a point. Paul had a gift. And if Paul was standing here today teaching, Paul could convince anyone that what he was saying was true. When he stood before kings, he could convince kings. When he stood before the high priest, he could convince the high priest. Paul's ability, he was a lawyer. Right? Jurisprudence. The guy is a philosophical ability to apply the law. He could take the Old Testament and apply it and show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all those things. People couldn't even argue with him. He was so good. And so Paul is referring to the fact that I have used really impressive words, lofty arguments. I'm really good at what I'm doing. But when I came to you, I didn't do any of those things in order to reveal God's secret plan for you. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget Everything Sounds to me like he's talking about the essentials. I would forget everything except who? Jesus Christ. The one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness. I was timid and I was trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. In other words, I didn't use all the stuff I know how to do. I just kept it simple. It was very essential. And rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Now, look, real quick, I, I, these are the kind of things that I, I geek out on. I know not everybody does. I'm a pastor. Let me, let me just give you what he's talking about. One of the most, most famous messages Paul ever preached uh, in the book of Acts chapter 17 is a place called Mars Hill. Anybody in here ever heard of it before? Okay, in the ancient world, Athens, Greece was the seat of, it would be like New York City, Washington, D.C. It would be the place where people gathered, a cosmopolitan, well-educated, very urbane, the place where people went, they, they had a hill where all, all they did was discuss philosophy. And Paul comes into this city in Athens in order to go to this hill to convince people that what they're doing is, is not right and he wants to tell them about who Jesus is. And this city, as he, as he walks through the city, he notices everywhere in this city there's idols. Idols to different gods and different philosophies and different thoughts. He goes to Mars Hill. He gets in front of all these people. It's his turn to speak. And he finds a statue with a, with a sign that says to the unknown God. So he actually launches into one of the most powerful messages ever preached. Going, you don't even know him. And yet you set aside an opportunity for me to tell you about the unknown God. So let me tell you who he is. And he preaches Jesus. And he's powerful. And he uses his lawyer gift. And he uses his preaching gift. And when he gets done, you can hear crickets. It says a few people got saved. Many people mocked him. But most people just thought... Nice philosophy. And went about their lives. And Paul learned a real big lesson. It doesn't matter how good I am if it's not Jesus that people touch. So that when he gets over here to this church, here's what he decides. I have this really powerful oratory gift. I can convince. I can convict. I can get people to say amen. He must have had like a thousand Roberts around him at any given time. Can you imagine? So we're like, I can't imagine. <clears throat> he, he, he had this great, but when he would get done with it, he would notice that the more about him that it was, the less people responded to Jesus. And so he learned this, rather than lift up his gift, he began to lift up Jesus and Jesus alone. So he'd make himself minimal and lift Jesus up, and then it went crazy with people getting born again. And that's what this reference is to right here. And the only reason I point it out to you is Paul himself is talking about the essentials. Dial it down to the essentials. And I'm trying to tell you, man, the only essential in life that I know that I know that I know is the hill to die on is the hill of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. If you're a believer, man, that should be your hill. That's the one thing you don't compromise, you don't give up on, you don't trade it in, you don't modify it, you, you don't allow anybody else to come in and kind of, okay, let me give you another philosophy. It's Jesus. All right, so here's the three things that I put down then. Just uh, the first one, kind of a funky sentence, forgive me, it's my own brain that loves to do things like this. But here, here it is, just, just the essentials. Here, in my mind, here's a way to... Uh, to, to write down an essential. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Do you like that? Because I do. Now here's the deal with that. Um, it's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. Because everything in life, man, vies and screams, and yells, and pulls, and pushes to get your attention, and wants you to give your time, and your effort, and your energy, your talent, your treasure, over and over. There's so many things, and the, the worst part about it is you can't judge it by good and bad. Most of the things vying are good, but what's God? And being able to tell the essential, man, is the way that you know to give your attention to it. Like my North Star, when I started this church, so how do I say this? I'll just talk for a minute. Uh, at the risk of being misunderstood, um, a week ago, terrible tragedy in our community. Uh, yes or no, it's a dark world we live in today. So now we can't stop with a period right there. It is a dark world, but the light shines brighter in the darkness than ever before. And while there is evil... Evil is not in a battle with God. 
God has already won. If you need like a little cheat sheet, read the back of the book. We win. Okay, we do. We win. So it just very, it, it says it, John, the Apostle John says it so clearly, the darkness does not overcome the light. The light overcomes the darkness. There are going to be some awesome messages taught this weekend in life-giving churches all across our community about that situation right there, and rightfully so. So I've got no negative to say about it, but I'm trying to take you to a point. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. I am tempted on a constant basis when I read the newspaper, when I search the internet. Things trigger my mind all the time. Talk about this, uh, reference this, say this right here. But like a North Star in my mind, 20 years ago when I started this church, I know that I know that God told me your mission is to lift Jesus up above everything else that you do. So while I may have themes when I teach, here's what I know. If I spent my whole message this weekend talking about the darkness, I'll make you afraid of the darkness, but you won't grow spiritually because of it. So I'm going to say it over here one more time. Look at me real quick. I can educate you about the darkness and I can make you afraid of the darkness, but you won't grow spiritually knowing more about the darkness. You'll grow spiritually knowing more about Jesus. The way to combat the darkness is not to become familiar with the darkness, but it is the light. It is Jesus and it is more of Jesus inside of you. Our answer to a world that's messed up is not better laws. It's different and changed hearts. My job in my mind is so clear to me that when I speak, when I write, when I teach, when I train, no matter what I'm doing, in my mind, my North Star is knowing that I know God told me the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm pulled constantly to teach, to comment on, to bring into, while they're worthy things. They're not unworthy. They're worthy things. I know what God told me to do. Do this. And as long as I stay true to that, it's amazing the health of the church. It's amazing how it's grown. And if I veer off from that, it's funny how it affects. You know the thing about truth? Uh, truth and deception. Here, here's, I thought about this. I'll talk about it a little more next week. The, the worst thing about it is whether you believe something or you don't believe something, it doesn't affect you right on the spot. When you get off, it doesn't happen in two weeks that you can see it, but in two years. And when you finally realize I'm off on something, you look for what happened in the last two weeks, but it could have happened two years ago to you. That's why the presentation of truth and making sure that people get truth. We'll have a little fun next week. Jesus taught all about truth, and then Pilate, in one sentence, tries to undo what is truth. Tell me we don't live in that day to day. What is truth? I'll show you. But you got to come back next week. <laughs> you know, um, so I had a few weeks off and it was really nice. And whenever that happens and I come back, man, I'm so like ready to go. And I've already used up my time and I'm at point one. <laughs> so when I told you I'm more passionate now, I, I just wasn't, wasn't kidding. Um, what do you want me to do? You want to go home and watch the Broncos? Oh, yeah. That's, that's... <laughs> One of the coaches goes to church here. Um, and uh, I, I'm just, I'm going to tell you, I know it's hard to believe right now. So uh, Broncos are going to be okay, man. You just, just, just watch. Have faith. Have faith. Broncos are going to be okay. Um, you see? You see how it gets off? Things vying for my attention suddenly pull me off. Um, Jesus, in dealing with the disciples, warned them to pay attention to two things that, that could pull them in the opposite direction of where they were supposed to go. Now, I, I think what's interesting, you could read that like, okay, so he said that to them 2,000 years ago, so that, the only context was for them. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, 
all scripture is profitable for your teaching, for your edification and for your correction, all scripture. So Old and New Testament and everything that's written in it is profitable for you. Do you hear what I said? It's profitable for you. It has some application in your life. So learning to read the Bible, how to apply it, not just to get smarter on something that was written then, but how does it apply today? All right, so Jesus is talking to the disciples. Uh, let me read this to you. It's Mark chapter 8, uh, verse 15. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them. Now look, if you are a believer, if you're not, pay no attention. But if you're a believer and Jesus warns you, then you, you should uh, knock the sleep out of your eyes and the Sunday morning funk out of your head and hear what he's about to say. So they're crossing the lake and Jesus warns his disciples, watch out and beware of these two things, the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Okay, now if you read it just like, okay, so he was talking to them about a king and religious leaders of that time, there's no application to us. You'll miss the point. Here's the way to look at that. He's actually warning them about a spirit that manifests itself in these two things that we still fight today. So if you've got a pen or pencil, you want to fill it in. Uh, the yeast of the Pharisees, real quickly. What is that? The yeast of the Pharisees. Uh, most of you would know what yeast is, leaven. It's what makes dough rise. The Bible says, and for those of you who cook, it doesn't take very much of it. Uh, in order to work. Just a little bit works its way through the whole lump of dough. And once it's in there, you can't get it back out. That's why you have to be cautious because once it's in, uh, it, it, there's a lifelong battle then to fight this thing. Pay attention to what I'm saying right now. So the best way to deal with it is not to let it in. But for some of you, when I say this, you've already let it in. And so to think to yourself, okay, now that I'm aware of it, I don't have to deal with it. You'll deal with it. It's the problem with it. Once it gets in, it permeates our thinking. It begins to give us a lens whereby we see people and we see life and we read our Bible with this. We have to be very careful. So the yeast of the Pharisees very quickly uh, is just in a sentence. It's religion that is void of power and without relationship. Is there any such a thing in the world today? Religion without relationship with God and void of power, of course. All over the world, there are people who pray far more than you and I do, who fast far more than you and I do, who live uh, a quote-unquote much more righteous life than you and I do. But when they die, man, they're not going to get into heaven because of their religious activity. Because religious activity won't get you into heaven. Pay attention to this very quickly. Here's the problem with religion, and it's true for all humanity across the planet, and it's true for people that sit in this room today. Religion has the ability to anesthetize the conscience inside of you to make you feel like because I did all of these good things, I'm okay with God. Jesus in his teaching gave, gave one of the, um, <laughs> this is troublesome to me. On judgment day, there's a group of people who stand before Jesus and this is what they say, Lord, Lord. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We did good deeds and good acts in your name. In their mind, they're appealing to him because they think they're good. And then Jesus looks at them and he makes this really stern statement. You need to leave because I don't know who you are. He doesn't, he doesn't argue with them on what they did. He says to them, I don't know who you are. Religion without relationship makes you think you're okay. And especially the more that you do, I cast out demons. Tell me that person doesn't have some understanding of the Bible. Yeah. I prophesied to prophesy. And then to have Jesus say, I don't know who you are. Those are scary words, man. That bothers me. What will I say? Hey man, I preach 10,000 messages. Want to hear them? They were really good. <laughs> it's human nature to rely on what we can do. If you can do your religion, you got something man-made and not God-made. If you can do it, if you don't need God, Dude, you got something man-made. 
So what he gives us is only possible through a relationship with him. Julia, only possible in a relationship with him. Hear my words right now, please. You know, I have one job and one job only is to prepare your soul to stand before God. Do you know that? That's my job. It's to care for your soul. That when we stand before the Lord, I get judged double hard for what happens to your soul. Yay. <laughs> That's scary. So that when I'm teaching these things right now, look at me real quick. It's not enough for me just to say the words, man, I got to reach you right now. You got to hear me right now. This is important right now. It's not hyperbole. It's not lofty. It's not, it's not, I'm not lifting me up. I'm lifting Jesus up right now. And I'm telling you, religion is not enough, man. And it's so easy to fool yourself to think because I, I, I genuflect, I curtsy, I took communion, I gave, I sang. I even put up with the pastor getting excited. I didn't get up and leave. It's not enough. Any activity, church, prayer, worship, giving, that lacks passion is right on the verge of religion without relationship. Let me say it again. Any Christian activity without passion is right on the verge of no relationship. Because if you're plugged into God, you're supposed to be passionate. Mm, thank you for that huge, overwhelming, overpowering amen. Here's the mindset of the East of the Pharisees. Tradition and rules are more important than people. Here, this, is, this is what the, the, uh, the Pharisees did that was just so unbelievable. They elevated their tradition and their rules above people. Jesus even one time had to tell them, hey, uh, was the Sabbath made for man or was man made for the Sabbath? Which one? Because they, they, they got that so wrong. Let me, let me read you this scripture real quick. Uh, Jesus went into the synagogue and again, noticed a man with a deformed hand. We don't know if the guy has cerebral palsy, if he injured it working. The Bible just doesn't give us the detail, but he has a hand that doesn't work and is deformed. Okay, Not just paralyzed, but deformed. Uh, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. That, that, never mind. Uh, if, he, if he healed the man's hand, uh, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come up here and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and he asked them uh, this question, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they think they're so smart, they don't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and then this part, man, and he was deeply saddened at the people that should have known him the best. Their hearts were hard. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. i say that one more time. Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. By the way, if that ever happens in our church, what's your response to that? Would you be excited? Would you clap and cheer? If I said, hey, God wants to do that in you, would you get in line? You'd have to beat me, because I'm up here in the front. I'd get right down in the in the front. At once, look at this, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of who? So remember to watch out for the east of the Pharisees and the east of Herod. They went to meet with Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So let me just sum it up. There's a guy with a hand that doesn't work. He's at church on the Sabbath. He wants Jesus to heal him. Jesus realizes if I do this, it's going to set these guys on fire. So he does it anyway. And their reaction to healing is to go and plot how to kill Jesus. How did the people that should have known him the most miss him the greatest? The people that memorize the first five books of the Old Testament before they're 18 years old. The ones who can cite the scriptures. Here's what happens. Religion doesn't make you nicer. Religion can make you mean as a snake. Jesus makes you nice. Some of the meanest people I ever met went to church. But some of the nicest people I ever met went to church. And what's the difference? Jesus. Do you hear me? 
It's Jesus. I, I'm, I gotta go. Um, third one, just the yeast of Herod. So the Pharisees were just simply the religious powers of the day that elevated religion above, above people. Their traditions were more important than people. They actually used the things that God gave to set people free to imprison people. They wouldn't go into salvation, and they don't want anybody else to go in either. That's a wicked thing. And then he talks about the yeast of Herod. Okay, for those who have been to Israel with me, there's a couple places where we actually talk about where Herod lived and who Herod was and what Herod did. Herod was not a good guy, but here's what Herod was. Herod was the king of the Jews, so he ruled over Israel, okay? But he was appointed by Rome. Rome was the powers that be during that day. So Herod combined two things together. He combined religion and the political power of the day into a rulership that controlled people. And so the two things Jesus warned against was religion without passion. And here's the second one. People that substitute politics for their power with God. Now, some of you will clear your throats, and every time I do this, and I've done it for 20 years, people don't like this because you've been trained in a false theology in our lifetime. And here's that. Here, here's the mindset, the statement. Uh, when people use politics as the reason the church exists, then here, here would be their sentence, God is a member of our party. And so that I say this really right, God is the president of his own party. Amen. And when you get to heaven, and you're like, hey, where do the Republicans live? <laughs> or some of you like, man, where's the Democrats at? Or some of you like, where's the progressives or the greens or the independents? And I, I just want you to know, heaven is a unifying factor. The people that go to heaven are unified under the banner of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Dude, your political affiliation won't get you into heaven. Laws are important. Good laws make a difference. And we live in an experiment that's 250 years old that's an anomaly on this planet. And it's still the greatest place in the world to live. Don't misunderstand me. And we get the right to vote. How awesome is that? To make our lives better or worse. You know how rare that is in the world? And yet, when a group of believers gets together and thinks our whole purpose is to change laws, we were never called to pick up a sword. We were called to pick up a cross. Yeah. Got to remember this. Got to remember this. His cause is our cause. His cause is our cause. Politics are important, but they're not more than Jesus. Have I said enough? Now nah, I'm done. Let me close with this. Revelations chapter 3. Um, this is actually Jesus that's speaking, first person. And it's important because he's talking to a last day church. So it's prophetic. When it was written, it was prophetic for yet to come. And he's speaking to a, a church, seven churches that represent um, the, the seven churches of, of the last days. And, and so in this particular church, Jesus makes this uh, acknowledgement. Look, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So here's what I'll close with. This church that he's talking about right here, Jesus was not on the outside just a few minutes ago. He was right in the middle of their midst in power. And without knowing why, suddenly he ends up on the outside of the church as an inconvenience, knocking to get back into his own church. How could it happen that Jesus is knocking to get into his own church? 
I'm going to plead with you right now. I'm going to plead as your pastor. Even if you're visiting today, you need a pastor. Let me be your pastor for a moment. The key thing, man, that we need in 2018 is to make Jesus the Lord of our lives above everything else. We need to be in a place where God can move easily. He can speak to us. He can draw us. He can talk to us. He does not need to become an inconvenient side reason that we meet around and he's trying to get into our midst. The whole reason we exist as a church, even after 20 years, there is no guarantee of perpetuity for this church if Jesus gets on the outside. If that ever happens, we need to shut the doors and give it to a good program that could utilize it better than we are. We need to be a church that's very sensitive to what Jesus is doing in our midst. I'm calling you right now. Listen to me. I'm calling you right now. Listen to me. I'm calling you right now. Jesus needs to be the first in our marriages. And he needs to be the first in our families. And he needs to be the first in our finances. He needs to be the first in the way that we pray and the way that we think. He needs to be the first in our activity, the first in our hope, the first in our thoughts. If he is God and he is the God that he claims to be, then he's worthy of being the first. Not an inconvenience knocking on the outside trying to get back in. How are you doing spiritually? Man, you don't have the right to ask us that question. Yes, I do. The only right that I have here is to ask you how you're doing spiritually. That's my job. And I take it seriously. How are you doing? Where's Jesus at in your life? Don't tell me how many times you went to church last year, how much money you gave. If you went on a mission trip or you're part of a small group, are you going to stop by the Welcome Center and get a cup? How are you doing spiritually right now? Where's your passion level? Your heart on fire? Because if it's not, you're in a dangerous place spiritually. I love you. And that's why I'll tell you. Discern my heart right now. There's no anger, no animosity. I'm not beguiling. I'm not trying to trick you. How are you doing spiritually? Jesus in the center? Can you identify him? Are you hearing him? Or is it that faint knock on the outside and he's trying to get back in? How you doing? Don't turn me off and don't run away from me. Don't go, I don't have to listen to this. It's really important. How you doing? I want Jesus to be the center of everything that I do. And there's areas in my life that need to change. There's things that I make myself the Lord of and not Him. So as I teach this, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to me too. How you doing? Like I know we need to get out of here, but is it more important than how you're doing spiritually? How you doing? So Lord, I know that kind of leaves it like uh, on a cliff. Uh, maybe for some people it's more like my backups is back up against the wall right now, Pastor. I think if you go here, you know me well enough to know my heart's not in a ugly place towards anyone. If you're visiting today and you're hearing something and you just feel uncomfortable, um, just consider that maybe the Holy Spirit is trying to say something to you right now and He wants to use that discomfort to dislodge you from a spiritually arid place, a dysfunctional place spiritually. The most important thing about this, I said it in the middle of the message, 
If your religion is something you can do, you don't need God, then you don't have the real thing. So when we come up against this question, like how am I doing spiritually, truth of the matter is you can't go home and decide, okay, I'm going to do good spiritually. Because if you could handle it, it's not the real thing. What we all need to do this morning, if in our hearts we feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking something to us, that Jesus needs to be the center, that he needs to be elevated to be the most, that he needs to be first, then what we have to do is say to God, help me, work in me, be merciful to me, do this in me, If you've lived long enough and you've been sincere about your faith, you've probably come to this conclusion like I have, that you can't change your heart. But you can present it to God and ask Him to change it. God changed my heart. God removed the things that hinder me. The lies that the enemy... has made me a slave in. The things that I feel like I just can't. God, you can. Be merciful to me. Show your love to me. Change my heart. Change my heart. Say that with me. Change my heart. Change my heart. God, thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you for your love. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I say this every weekend. Please don't let this ever fall on deaf ears. I appreciate you listening to me. It means the world that you show me the respect that you do and the honor that you do. And I just want you to know I really appreciate that you listen to me.